Well, hello and welcome to the last Forever Blue podcast of the season. I do propose to take a break during the season, uh, close the summer. So even though there'll be lots of transfer speculation, I'm sure, um, I'm not going to get involved in that, to be honest. So unless something absolutely mega happens at City, um, I've no intention of doing any more podcasts now until we get to the build up to the new season. Um, So thanks very much for all your support, uh, particularly Charles Louis, the uh, mortgage advisors who are the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, they, of course, started out as a development finance and mortgage advice and estate agency company offering buy to let, first time buyer and moving home mortgages. But they now provide support for the whole property transaction process, including an independent estate agency, an expert financial team, and a renowned mortgage team. So, big, big thanks to them. Now, tonight, rather than just having two or three guests on, I've decided to sort of open the doors really to the Forever Blue podcast team, many of which you will be familiar with. There are one or two other um, guests will pop up, one of which is already with us. We might get another one later on, uh, but let me introduce who's with, with us first of all. We've got Adam. Um, there's two Adams who join in on our podcast. So this is the Adam that was on the City Matters Committee um, fairly recently. Uh, so that's Adam P. We've got Amy, we've got Harlan, We've got Andy and the first of our special guests, Jeff Durbin, the former commercial manager at Manchester City. So before I ask um, Jeff and Andy particularly, who I know were out in Porto for their thoughts on the Champions League final, um, I just want to say as a as a long-standing blue that uh, whilst I understand the disappointment everybody had of not winning the Champions League in Porto, um, I, I certainly come away from that game feeling very proud of the fact that City got to the Champions League final um, and very excited, really, to be back among people, among City fans, uh, being a, a big uh, you know, crowd, lots of noise. I mean, I know the official crowd was 14,000. It looked and felt a lot more than that to me in that stadium in Porto, but down by the river, great great atmosphere I did a match day vlog which I know people aren't necessarily in the mood to watch because we didn't win the game um so uh if you've not gone over and looked at it it's it's not what you think it's it's uh it's people really enjoying themselves and showing what the passion of City fans is all about there's only a little bit of reaction because I was working as a journalist over at the game so I didn't have much chance to meet up with City fans anyway but we know what they would have said Um, so I get it all into proportion I just think it was It's been an amazing season, a title-winning season. At the same time, it's been a very odd, strange season being played almost entirely behind closed doors. Um, I've said this on other occasions, but I'll say it again. I wasn't a big fan of football continuing on during the pandemic, but it did. And I know for a lot of people that gave them a lift and helped their mental health while while there was nothing else really to do. Um, But... It has been what it has been, and City have won the league in style. They've won the League Cup. They got to the FA Cup semi-final. They got to the Champions League final. What a season and what players um, the club has got and what a manager they've got. Now, if I was being critical, I would say the manager got it wrong in the final. I'm not going to hide away from that. I think Fernandinho had to be the first name on the team sheet, but even if you'd have preferred Rodri as a holding midfielder, surely somebody had to be in that holding midfield role. And Raheem Sterling, who by his extremely high standards has had a poor season to suddenly be catapulted into that game. And I've always preferred him on the right rather than left. And he played on his on the left as well. Um, ju- just 
I'm afraid it was a big mistake. That's my opinion anyway, but still very, very proud. So let me ask a couple of the people who were, first of all, in Porto. Um, let's start with Jeff, who, who was a commercial manager at one time at City, but now is a, a diehard blue. He's always been a diehard blue. That's the truth. What was it like? What, what's your reflections now on, on Porto, Jeff? Well, thanks for introducing me as a special guest, Cheese. I, I think, you know, it's 21 years since I left City. So I think, you know, I, I think we're just all in it together, really. In fact, I probably Harlem wasn't born when uh, when I left City. Certainly 34 years ago when I started, even Andy might not have been, I'm not too sure. But um, no, it, it, the perspective... Don't trust me, you would have been born by then. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I'm sure you won't want to go up start talking about age, Cheesy, I'm, I'm sure. But, um, but we'll, we'll leave no. that aside. No, I mean, f firstly... When we were we were going over on the plane, I thought the arrangements, by the way, were fantastic. In addition to the generosity, you know, from our point of view, mates of mine who got stuck on a plane got cancelled on the way back and didn't get home till eight o'clock. Would probably disagree, but but I thought the arrangements were, were were very very good overall. We were talking on the plane, saying, "Well, he's bound to tinker. He's bound to do something. What's he going to do?" And I said, "I've just had this horrible thought. He's going to play Rodri and Fernandinho." So I, I couldn't have just shows I'm always wrong. I couldn't have been further wrong. It was exactly the opposite. I suppose I was on, on the right sort of subject. So from a team point of view, yeah, that, that was a bit of a surprise. The experience, I can't tell you how privileged I felt to be there, not just because we're there, but because the club from the depths of uh, the third tier, you know, in 23 years, 22 years has, has, has come through so much. And I keep coming back to this word perspective. I keep saying it because I think in life as well as uh, what we're talking about now perspective is absolutely everything and um i don't think it's wrong to look back and to set it against that there's a lot of i understand people who've only been or fans been watching more recently don't look at it that way but you have to look at that journey so to be there a day i never i mean i never thought we'd win a trophy you know even one league cup until until um, you know that the, the day i shuffled off this mortal coil i mean i never thought we, we would do anything so my perspective was a fantastic day to go with my son meant an awful lot um you know i think a lot of us were there with with um close friends or family and the best bit of trips geez just to finish on this for me it's an extended family that's what city is all about we're, we're part of the same family and when you go on those trips and you bump into all the you know people some people have not seen before lockdown my best man actually dave barnes was that was there at the other side of the river and eventually caught up i've not seen him since before lockdown i thought the whole the whole thing was uh, emotional a great privilege to be there. Of course, the result didn't go in the way we wanted, but the experience of being watching our club in the Champions League final was absolutely fantastic. And your son uh, made a point that you passed on to me about being a little bit disappointed with the players after the game. I was up in the, the press box and I was reporting at that time. I was probably doing something on the Indian TV channel. So I wasn't studying it really closely, but your son was disappointed that the, the players didn't go over to thank them. Is that is that what he felt? Well, yeah, yeah it's something that Chris, my son, um, mentioned. And I, I think he's right. I hadn't really thought about it, but... I think inevitably, as soon as the final whistle went, there's going to be a lot of, of weeping and wailing and self-pity, and you, you get that. But after a few minutes, um, it was almost like they'd forgotten that, and maybe they had because fans hadn't been at so many games. Um, and the only one, I think Stonesy did a very little you know, brief clap. And then, of course, there was nothing until after the presentation, by which time there was probably only 10% of the fans left. So his point was that, you know, and particularly with, you know, the the hardship that not in terms of the financial hardship but the 
you know, it was a, it was not easy getting over there with all the form filling and all the other things we had to do. It was a it was a big trip, and to have no acknowledgement, we felt there was a disconnect there. I mean, I think we all know there is a disconnect compared with the old days, but it's only recently we've had the Zabaletas, we've had the Vinnies who have connected with us, and I I think that that was a fair point that Chris made. It may be that other people see it differently, and that was you know one of the reasons for raising it because we maybe we are in the minority, but but felt it reflected this sort of disconnect really between the, the, the players and, and the fans. Well Andy you were out there as well and uh, you have, I saw you on the day you were having a great time your family was over there etc and we had the double experience because your son Tom was videoing for me on the outward journey he went on the day trip and I included that in my match day vlogs if not any, anybody's not seen that vlog yet and wants to see a little bit of the flavour of what all that was all about have a look at it but you know you had a great time I haven't spoken to you since the game so what is your overall you know your overall verdict and everything well I think it starts when they pick me ticket up um, on Wednesday and um, because I was Traveling independently, I wasn't getting my ticket given on the plane like a lot of the well, all the all the people going on the day trip did. And just to see City on the final ticket, that that got me going. Just that, and it was just exactly what Jeff just referred to as well. Just just reflecting for a minute on where we've come from, and then it just got even. You know, Porto 2012 was one of my favourite European away trips ever, and it was even better this one from the perspective of. Um, you know, the, the weather was beautiful. Everyone was in great spirits. Uh, we parked up on on Saturday at a place and never left it. And the number of people who came past, who, who came over and said, ah, Joe, how you doing? And, and, you know, it was hugging people. It was like no COVID uh, restrictions going on between all the old boys, all double vaccinated, of course. And and it was fantastic, honestly. And, you know, the cordonist, of course, who by Saturday afternoon had, had got his rendition of who the F and Man United down to a fine tee was earning 100 euros an hour. And it was great. You know, it was proper, uh, proper away day, well behaved. Just a flick to Sunday when I know that you and Jeff had both uh, left Porto. The atmosphere continued, even with the Chelsea fans. They were great. They just couldn't believe that they'd actually uh, won, to be honest. Um, no arrogance, no, no, nothing at all. So credit to them. They were, they were fabulous, and I think as well, you could see that in the mixed areas in the ground, there was no real obvious signs of any any issues. So the fans and the, and the experience from, from, from the whole thing was great. Not going to whinge about the testing and the cost. It's what it is. You either, you either did it or you didn't. I think the information going out about it was probably difficult for everyone to get to grips with, and we all spent a lot of time last week trying to make sure that we all knew what we were doing. But in the end, I think uh, I don't know of anybody who who lost out as a result of not testing properly and so on. So from that point of view, you know, great. Want more of it. Um, like the old days, great trip, shit game. And that's basically <laughs> how I felt. Uh, and, and, and my disappointment, my disappointment didn't last that long, actually, because I came out the ground and following the hordes down to the city, everyone's trying to get back to their... Uh, apartments and hotels quickly because there was nowhere open and I came a crop of I fell I fell in a hole uh, in this uh, cobbled street and I hurt, and I hurt my hip and uh, to be honest I've had more I've had more grief with that than thinking about the match to be honest the match itself um, as 
the lad who was sharing an Airbnb with me, he said uh, on the day, if he doesn't pick Fernandinho, I'm not going. And he didn't. And he didn't uh, follow up his comment when we read out the team sheet. He decided that he paid 350 euros and he was staying. Um, and I think that what 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 struck me uh, was just just behind where we were sat on the lower tier, there was all the TV crews. And Peter Schmeichel was um, doing a thing for, I think it was CBS, one of the American networks. And he had Noel Gallagher as his guest. So um, I'd managed to sort of get up there and start chatting to them about everything. And Schmeichel said, what do you think about no defensive midfielder? I said, well, I, I don't understand it. I said, to be honest, uh, he said he's played 60 games this season with one or the other or both. What's, what, what's, what do you think about it? I said, I'm really worried about it because you know exactly who they've got in that uh, position. One of the world's best. And um, as it proved, he had man of the match. Um, Sterling should never have started uh, on the left or the right, frankly. He's not, uh, you know, he, he's not in a barn door, has he, for that long? And so I think we started off with a bit of intrepidation. And as it turned out, um, Chelsea just, deserved uh, their win in the end. They, they outplayed us. Uh, uh, they seemed to want it more. I think there was a very cynical uh, event involving Rudiger and De Bruyne. Um, I haven't seen it actually at all. I've only seen any of the game from when I was there. And even from my position, I just <clears> thought that looked really cynical. So I'm not sure what the discussion's been around that, but I, but I just thought that was clearly a half-time decision by... Uh, by the Chelsea management, that that was one way to make sure they stayed ahead of stayed ahead of us. So I have to say, great to be back, great to be on a European trip. Uh, absolutely loved it, uh, apart from the ninety minutes and a bit of bit of time afterwards sulking. Well, people would say that's what the life of a blue is, or certainly <laughs> was anyway. Yeah. Uh, let, let, let's get the perspective then of, of some of those who didn't go to the game. Let's start with Adam then. I mean, you were, I'm, well, I'm guessing you weren't at the game. I didn't see you out there. Um, what was the experience like then for you? No, well, I wasn't there. Um, I wasn't planning to go anyway, but it's probably a good job because I've just contracted COVID, so I wouldn't have been able to go anyway. Um, but no, I wasn't there. Uh, I, had a, I had a webcam on the town most of the day. I couldn't believe how... Like you've said, it maybe that was just focused on the blue sections, but it just seemed to be nearly all City fans through the town on every webcam that I saw. Um, I was quite surprised through the game that I didn't really hear a lot of noise from the City fans, could definitely hear a lot more from the Chelsea fans. Uh, and I don't know if that was just nervousness or not, because, uh, I mean, from being so excited all day, the minute I saw the team, my heart did sink, really, and I'd, I'd lost a lot of my confidence. Um I guess there's no need to go on and on about it. We, all, I think, everybody will will all agree on the team selection. The team, the players individually, just did not turn up. I don't think it's hard to think of anyone who you'd say gave the best. Um, and I also think it's important to say that Chelsea were absolutely brilliant, and uh, they are a main major threat for the title next season. I would say. Amy, what was your? I mean, obviously. I keep bringing up Sergio Aguero when you're involved because uh, I know you're a big fan of his and he came on near the end, but it was too late for him to make much of a difference. Um, so let's just leave Sergio for a little while. I mean, what, what was, how did you feel? You know, you've heard Adam say that, you've heard Andy say his mate didn't even want to go to the game when Fernandinho wasn't selected. 
What's your take on it all? Uh, obviously, previous podcast, me and Tony were the ones who had the negative Nelly. We were the ones that were like, you know, not, you know, obviously you, you do from past experiences. Um, I'd obviously not had a good day in the morning anyway. Um, so the day just got Just to explain, early. by the way, <laughs> so people start thinking, what's all that about? You took your theory test for your driving le- um, exam, didn't you? And, yeah. pa- and failed it. I failed it. And uh, <laughs> Harlan said, if I didn't win, then City wouldn't win. So I felt even worse. It's Harlan's fault. I'm blaming him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the day just got better, really, didn't it? Um, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, the team just wasn't wasn't right at all. And like I say, I don't want to keep going on about it because you should think of the positives. Little old City got to the final of the Champions League and. You know that's that's more than we could have ever dreamed of in in our lifetime, and uh, as much as you know, it was just sad to see the players all you know like upset and stuff, and like watching what happened with Kevin actually made me want to be sick. Like obviously on the telly, you you see it more up close than probably would you do from the stand. Um, and when he weren't getting up, it was oh god it was awful like it was really really awful and then seeing his little face when he got up and his eye had just literally swelled up like instantly I just thought it was absolutely disgusting um but yeah it just there wasn't enough there wasn't enough power but I just feel like this happens sometimes with the lads they they get dead excited for the game and they get thingy and then it all then it all goes tits up and you know just Maybe as the thingy goes on, maybe next season we'll actually win it because that's how it's gone in order. So fingers crossed, eh? <laughs> well, it's um, it's obviously a, a gloomy prospect to, to think that they didn't win it. Um, it it's interesting they say Little City. I mean, and, and Jeff sort of touched on that, looking at it from the uh, legacy fans' point of view, like I do, and w- we remember where we came from. But the modern club... I don't think looks at it like any like that anymore. You know, little city and everything. I think they see themselves as a as a powerhouse, and that's what we like to see them as as well these days. So they will be a, very gutted, I would think. Uh, Louisa, before I go to Harlem for a bit of tactical analysis, what's your what's your verdict on it all? Um, yeah, kind of agreeing with everybody else. Uh, absolutely agree. Sterling should not have started. He has not. He hasn't hit anything this season. Uh, his biggest problem for me this season has been he's holding on to the ball for too long. He's keeping it for too long. Even in the one-touch matches where we seem to be a very quick pace, there's Sterling. Touch one, touch two, touch three. Oh look, the opposition has stolen the ball off him. Oh look, it's gone over the back line. Oh look, where's the ball going? Sterling's lost it. He's lost it this season. Season, so we should not have started that match. I know we're going to come on to Aguero. Aguero should have absolutely have started that match um, out of respect for even his career and the mammoth effort he's put into this club and all the, the trophies we have won because he has been in the starting side of that team. So psychologically for him, he should have started. And yes, might not get a full game in, take him off and sub him with somebody else once we're 2-0, 3-0 up. Not a problem for me. Uh, Fernandinho, where the hell was he? Should have started. Um, that was kind of my starting lineup, really. I, I, you know, we, we go on... Um, 
Walid Hope's um, Algerian channel, don't we? And he asked me to do an appearance a week before to say my starting lineup, and that that was it basically with all the rest that were that were in it. Uh, the incident with Debronya, Andy. Don't, if you watched it, you'd, you'd throw something at your TV straight away. I didn't need a replay, but we got them straight away. I knew that their play, I'm not even going to grace this podcast with that player's name. He was absolutely disgusting, in my opinion, that he planted his feet on purpose to stop himself on that pit so De Bronya would crash straight into him, straight into his shoulder. I knew it was a shoulder, didn't need to wait 10 minutes for the pundits to tell us. I knew he'd hit his shoulder. And not only that, not only did he take our player out, which I do believe they pre-planned it, and I'll tell you why in a second, they also, he also planned it that much that it would take him out, knock him out, whatever he needed to do to get our best player off that pitch. And he achieved it. And then what did he go and do? Roll all over on the floor clutching his own head when De Bruyne had clashed into I'd love to see his shoulder after that match and the day after because I'll tell you something I bet that's where his bloody bruises were sorry for swearing I'm furious with what he's just done to our player could he detach his retina could have blinded the guy seriously it could have and I'm not exaggerating so what happened after that did anyone actually notice that they were then trying to take Phil Foden out as well because I certainly did because I knew that they'd deliberately took De Bruyne out so then I was watching off the ball what all their other players were doing on that pitch and I don't think they deserved it yeah they might have played a bit better they scored their goals yeah congratulations Chelsea because you've won it in my opinion in the worst possible way so sorry there you go Harlan floor's yours I'm done I'm going to calm down well, listen, I respect that completely. A bit like Andy, I, I've not seen any of the replays, so I can only go off what people are telling me. Uh, maybe I'll watch it. I did video the game, uh, but I suppose, like a lot of people, you don't, you don't really want to watch it straight away because the way you feel about it, but I've never watched that. The only the only mitigating thing I would say against this, and this, in, given the strength of feeling that you have about that, Louisa, and, and I completely respect that, and as I say, you've seen it and I haven't, um, every time you come into these big games, um, whether it be Chelsea, whether it be Real Madrid when Ramos is playing or whatever, um, we have to expect that there will be sometimes a bully boy in the opposition. And one of my questions, which Alan can pick up on, is whether or not we are too lightweight as a side. Now, that doesn't in any way justify the incident that you're talking about. And I don't want to see our team go around and hand out that type of punishment to anybody else and win it. That wouldn't sit right with me either. But you also know, as a great example here, that if Fernandinho had been playing, whilst he might not have put a shoulder into somebody and he might not have, you know, done what you're describing Rudiger did, um, he, he certainly knows how to handle himself and he knows how to sometimes make a mark on the opposition. You know, he'll take a book in, he'll, he'll let people know he's around. And it's felt to me that Mares, Foden, um, you know, to a certain extent, even Bernardo Silva, certainly Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne are all, whilst they are magnificently skillful players who I really admire, they're all a little bit lightweight, you know, so... Whilst it's it's a horrible position to be in, you don't want them to be go out there and be, you know, Roy Keane stamping on um, Alfie Harland or or the type of thing you've dis, you've mentioned. You also 
realistically in the real world know that that is how football can be played. And of course, we've been used to watching it behind closed doors when it's looked like a training ground exercise with City knocking the ball around and no crowd to affect anything. And suddenly we're in a stadium with 14,000 people. Chelsea are physical and we can't handle it. That doesn't make it right. It's just a statement of, of, of observation. Harlan, pick up and, and run with it. It's over to you, boy. Uh, it's a disgrace. The, the challenge is an absolute disgrace. The, the worst part for me was that we were actually starting to get a grip on the game. De Bruyne was actually starting to pull strings again at the time, which is why I do think it was premeditated. And I do back up what Louisa was saying, whether it was premeditated or, 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 or premeditated within the game. I'm not quite sure it was something before the match that was probably discussed. But I think as the game went on, although we were struggling to kind of break Chelsea down in the way that we would have liked to have done. Um, I just feel like once we started to get a grip of the game around the, I think it was the, was it the 60th minute or something when that happened, the Bruyne started to get a bit of joy again, uh, started to motor a bit. And as soon as that started to happen, it was one of them where I think Tuchel looked and thought, this can't happen. Um, we need to do something here. And, and I think there was, there was an instance where, like, like, like Louisa said, I mean, you could see that there was players being nibbled at, there was players being um, hacked at a bit, um, and De Bruyne was without a shadow of a doubt. As much as Phil Foden is probably the best street footballer we've got, and for me, the best all-round footballer we've got in the attacking phase, Kevin De Bruyne was going to be, you know, the talismanic man that was going to drag us up by our laces and 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 and, and bring us bring us through the the ninety minutes in the end and. Fordham wasn't getting on the ball, so therefore De Bruyne was by far the most pivotal player in the attacking phase in the game. And when you take the player out in, you know, at that stage in a game, you, you completely kind of take that element out of it. And, and once that had happened, I mean, I was disappointed that it happened. Of course, I was fuming, but we still had a game to play. I was more disappointed that nobody else stepped up and kind of tried to fill that void when De Bruyne went off. It was almost like Kevin's gone off I'm not saying we didn't keep trying. We, you could see we were trying to get something out of the game, but it almost seemed like because the Bruyne had gone off, it was almost an excuse for a, for a poor then 25 half an hour where where maybe you know a man didn't want to to take it on his shoulders and run with it. Um, overall, tactically, it was it was one of them where without a holding midfielder, I think we're awful um, because we just allow teams far too much time on the ball. There's no like you say, I agree with that, Ian. There's no kind of determination, um, toughness in the midfield, de you know, dedication to try and get the ball back. And um, had Rodri played, I think it would have been a similar uh, outcome, if I'm honest with you. Fernandinho would have played without a shadow of a doubt. We would have got the ball back quicker. Um, we'd have attacked a lot quicker. We'd have played a lot more direct and, and, and forward more. Um, but Sterling playing was the big one. And I thought he was going to go Mares, Torres and Foden. Being that he might not have wanted to play Sterling down the middle, he might have gone Torres. Um, but he didn't and he went Sterling. And, and I kind of look at it and think maybe he wanted to go Sterling to kind of put a rocket up him as to say, look, if ever you're going to shine this season, it's probably now in the biggest game of the season. That might be enough to motivate Sterling. And it clearly wasn't. I mean, you could see he was trying things, but he's in a big rut. And it's one of them where he'll try something and, and, and it's not successful. And then 
by trying to make up for the last mistake, he makes another. And it, it just becomes a catalyst of errors. Um, and it, it was just one of them nights where, where once De Bruyne went off, you kind of knew that that was probably it. And See, even I the line... thought that when Gabriel Jesus came on and I thought he, he looked all right in the Everton game, he's had a lot of stick from, from fans. And, and I think a lot of that stick is unjustified. I think he puts a lot of work rate in. He's, he, he can be quite creative. Um, and because of the <laughs> variation in the role that he's being asked to play, he doesn't look quite as a, much of a goal threat all the time as Sergio at his absolute best. But I actually think Gabriel Jesus should have started that game. I mean, to me, I would have had Fernandinho playing. Of course, I would. Uh, no Sterling. But perhaps I would have had either Foden or Mares um, left out for, you know, th- another alternative. So... Now, we're doing this on, on Zoom, as we've been doing throughout the pandemic. And obviously, I'm looking at a screen with everybody on. You're listening to this on an audio podcast. So I'm just going to say, uh, although I've been around the whole group now, if somebody wants to jump in now and be the one who answers a question or has something to say, wave your hand around and then I can see you. So what is the way forward? I mean, um, you know, I... I heard a little while ago about possibly Harry Kane coming um, you know is Haaland a possibility um, Jesus is being put, offered as a potential make weight in the uh, Harry Kane deal for example um, you know there could be other players that go we, we heard about in the tunnel that arguably there was a you know a, a bust up if that's the right thing I mean this may be gossip and I certainly didn't see it but if we're to believe what we hear then uh, Raheem sorry uh, Riyad Mahrez and John Stones were talking about to each other and it was being suggested that each was saying the other one needed to be more physical and that there is a group of players who are not regulars like Americ Laporte who I personally would have started in that final um, if I'm being honest, I'd have had Diaz on the right-hand side of the back four and Laporte next to him and not John Stones, but he supposedly is unsettled. So that, And there seems to be behind the scenes a lot a lot of different issues we could talk about here. So, you know, pick up and run with whatever you want to run. Adam's put his hand up. Go on, Adam, you, you go first. Well, I've always thought ever since the, the big money's coming to the club that one thing we've never done um, is sell sell big players at the top of the game for big money and do and do a standard refresh that a lot of the big teams do. And Pepper's done this incredible job whereby I think he's reduced the age of the squad by three years, which may not sound a lot at first glance, but that's taking seventy five years off the age of the squad. So everyone goes on about the money we've spent, but he's done this incredible job of turning an aging squad into a young squad. Um, we lost Leroy. We didn't get any decent money for him because. Partly because of the, the pandemic, maybe, and partly because he was running down his contracts and only, only wanted to go to one club. But we've never sold players at, at top dollar um, and spent that money again. Uh, I think every team needs to be refreshed. We've had year on year on year, we've lost legend after legend after legend, and that pretty much ends this year, uh, you know, unless Fernandinho signs an extension. We've, we've lost all those big aging legends, really. And now I think Pep needs to think about not just... August, but where he wants to go next. And if there are players who, I, you know, I don't know who they might be, but if it's Laporte or Sterling who wants out, then we set the price for them and they go and we and we bring in players of equal quality <laughs> and equal youth. Um, and it has to be 
an ongoing thing that we do year on year where we sell players. We don't want every player to just turn 33 years old and then we wave goodbye and give them a season ticket for life on the pitch. We need to start selling as well as buying. We've done a lot of buying and we've never done any selling. <clears throat> Andy wanted to come in. Uh, go on, Andy. Yeah, I think Gavin's spoken really well. Um, one of the points I was going to make, uh, exactly that. Um, you know, I remember it was Arsene Wenger. He just knew exactly when to sell. You know, if you look at anyone who could do it, it was him. And, you know, with Liverpool getting rid of Coutinho, look how that improved their team. So I think there's a lot of validity in what you just said there. I agree. The thing for me was the first text message I got on the literally seconds after the end of the game was uh, my regular taxi driver who runs me about when I'm in head office in Munich, big Bayern Munich fan. And it just said, uh, remember, Andy, I told you, Pep, there is no plan B. And this was his. This was always the comment why they could never win the Champions League and why they could win the, the domestic stuff for fun. Uh, because he was he's so stubborn and such a genius at being stubborn and, and everything. And he could do so many things. He won't bend away from this philosophy. And, and I think that what, what I think I'd like now is for that to change just, to, just slightly to give us an opportunity to have plan B because we haven't mentioned it yet, but the fact that we didn't play a defensive midfielder meant we put our top goal scorer in front of our back two. Gundogan was just out of position for me. Uh, and, and whether that meant he was on instead of Sterling or whatever, I'm not... The, 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 I just couldn't understand it. It, it. He had to play further up the pitch, and um, it, it, well, it didn't happen. So I think there's, I think definitely uh, we shouldn't throw the baby out of the bathwater. We've had two cups. We've been in a major final. We were in a semi-final, uh, but it's frustrating to know that during that game nothing changed. It didn't appear to me that there was going to be any significant. Um, opportunity to change it and I think that probably um, you know started to show when Gabby came on that we did need that sort of intense uh, player playing playing in the real nine I think that's where we've got to think about next. Given your taxi driver's comment then you're not suggesting after five years and with only two years left now on his contract that Pep needs to be refreshed i.e a new coach comes in or are you confident that somehow somewhere in the future he will develop the skills to have a plan b uh, or are we just content and it's not a bad position to be in to say that we start next season again as favorites to win the premier league maybe win the league cup for a fifth year in a row um, and get to the latter stages of the champions league and given where we've come from which jeff so eloquently said before that's not a bad position to be in so I'm not trying to tease you into saying anything either way, but how do you feel then about Pep's flexibility? Is it is it well, him that's I, got to change or is the club that's got to change him? I, 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 well, I think he recognised after last season that there needed to be an improvement. And, and in spite of what we did in the transfer window, which I think was actually brilliant, I think we had a good window last time. Obviously, the coaching staff was boosted by an old pal of his from Mexico, who, whose name escapes me. Somebody can remember yeah, it, right? right? And I just think he's been influential this season in a positive way. Uh, only, only really, I think, reinforcing the fact that the way that 
uh, Guardiola wants to play is the right way. And I just, I just think at times we just get a little bit stuck in, in that mode. And the players, uh, when we go behind, somehow it's, it, gets, it gets a bit uh, tricky for them. And, it, and I think time and time again this season, it's been when we played physical sides. Those, I've those seen it suggested today, though, that, that even one or two of the players, because of Pep's tactical decision in that final, I mean, this, this may just be complete gossip and nonsense, but that one or two of them may have lost their faith in him because he got it, because it's seen by everybody, really, that Pep got it so wrong. Just a quick one. Can I come in with a quick one? Just that basically I was saying the other day that I thought if Pep signed a 10-year deal, we'd probably win seven, champ uh, seven league titles and no Champions League out of those 10 years. And for me, I would absolutely take that. I do think he's got a flaw in him when it comes to these big games of the Champions League that I don't think he'll ever shake. But he's winning us the league year after year after year, and that is surely the more important thing. Ian, there's, there's, there's people saying, sorry, uh, before and, um, whoever else comes in next, um, people are saying that because we played Chelsea so many times in the build-up to this game that he tried to kind of like play a, a psychological game with, with Tuchel, um, and that's the reason why Sterling played. But he played a back five in the league game, or it looked to be a back five when we were defending, and a back, a back three when we were when we were going forward. And then it was it was moving into a four, and then Aguero puts the puts the penalty away, and it's two nil. And there's no going back. We win the game, and then the semi final was always one of them that whoever scored first was going to win it. A bit similar to this, I kind of I kind of thought. So we lost two games really by fine margins. Aguero didn't score a pen that would have won us the game. And we lost the semi-final because of a lapse in concentration that allowed one of the easiest goals you'll ever see to happen at one end of Wembley. And then we couldn't get back in the game. So they weren't batterings. We didn't get thumped by Chelsea. Therefore, I don't think an overhaul in terms of how we were to line up in this final was needed. Um, it was a game of chess as far as I was concerned. You move, we move, you move, we move. And then somebody might take one big leap. Um but I, I almost thought like Pep did overthink it. But Gundogan didn't look fit to me. Whether it was a uh, mind games or whatever, he didn't look as sharp or as quick or as dynamic as he normally would. And whether that's because he was playing where he was, maybe that plays a part because he had much more of a disciplined role playing as a holding midfielder. But for me, he just he didn't look like himself. And therefore, for me, it doesn't justify why Rodri or Fernandinho didn't play and. I don't know if anybody noticed, obviously you guys that were in the ground might not have done, but I kept looking up at the clock because it was one of them games that where it went very slow until we went 1-0 down and then it went very fast. <clears throat> um, and when I looked at the clock, 12 minutes and 54 seconds were on the clock and we'd been hit down our right-hand side five times already and Walker was chilling on the halfway line for four of them. There was one instance where Zinchenko had to come across from left wing back cover at right wing back with Stones moving across and being caught out of position, Diaz moving across. And I said to Joel and Jess and my mum, this is very, very worrying for me, this, because they know that Walker, because of the way that Pepper set us up tonight, being, we know that Walker needs to be in the position to go forward and get forward, but it was almost putting a, a lot of strain on, on, on the back line and, um, when when Diaz has gone forward and the back line's moved up, we've lost the ball with Zinchenko. 
Diaz is out of position, and that gap, I mean, that gap was absolutely, it was, it was huge. Like, it was one ball, but it was, it was a well-thought-out ball, and we were caught on the break, and we were caught because Diaz was out of position, and he's been flawless for the majority of the season. But he was out of position by accident. It was just one of them where we'd moved up, he'd been caught, and unfortunately, the ball went down his, his line, and, and, and Zinni would give the ball away, but for me, I mean, the warning signs were there that, that they were probably going to score first, unless, a bit like Aguero's penalty, Mares scores that one that comes across. And then it's a different story then, because we go 1-0 up and Chelsea have then got to make a decision on how they then move on in the game. But it's fine margins in football. Was it avoidable? Yeah. It was an accidental goal, though, in my, in, in my opinion, in terms of the way it happened, because we were just caught out. I was more worried about something coming from the right-hand side. Werner had two chances, I think. I think there was three big chances that came down that right-hand side in the, uh, well, their left, our right, in the first 10 minutes. And there was five five breaches of that of our back line in the first 12 and a half. So it was always going to be a long night unless we got a grip of the game. And when De Bruyne was about to start getting older one, that's when Rudiger took him out. And then it became plain sailing for them in the end to, to, get, to get the win. I know Louisa was waving a little while ago. I don't know if anybody's made your point, Louisa, but um, the floor is yours. Um, yeah, totally in agreement um, with, with everything Harlan's saying. As usual, we do tend to agree a lot. Um, it's just, I, I do feel that Zinni had a heck of a lot to do in that match. And he, I know the exact moment that Harlan's on about, they actually, they, they've frozen it online somewhere to show where the heck are the rest of the defenders when Zinchenko, who isn't even a defender, is, is there by himself? Yeah, he loses the ball, you know, but where's everybody else? Where are they? What I would have liked to have seen, you're absolutely right about Gundogan, is when he plays with Stones on the pitch, Stones tends to play a bit further forward. So he's pushing Gundogan up. So Gundogan's further forward, scoring goals, hence why he's our top goal scorer, because Stones has had quite a lot of games this season, if you've noticed. So I was wondering why the heck is Stones all the way back? Why is he further back? Because if he comes up like he has been doing in some matches, and he's all the way up there sometimes, even going for goals himself when it's not even a set piece, that you just think, so he should be pushing Gundogan up, right? That's just that's just what's happened all season. Why is it not happening today? I agree with what you're saying about Pep. Um, it's not even a, a, a full season thing either that he needs to sort of have a look and check himself. It's a match thing. So something's not going right within the match. To me, it's like he's quite stubborn. He won't change it during the match. He just Even if he switches a player, it's like they're still playing the same. So why switch players out if he's still going to have the same set of play? So when De Bruyne gets taken out, in my humble opinion, because I'm not a manager and I don't claim to be, um, is that De Bruyne is worth two players because he's that good. So what you need to do is you re need to re-push everybody around on that pitch to cover the fact that we've just had a player sent off. We're now down to 10 men in my head when De Bruyne gets taken off like that or someone that's equally as, as important. So you need to cover that position now. And all those matches that we played with De Bruyne and were amazing and excellent and all the other players did step up. So shuffle them about. Then they can step up. Then get Gundogan scoring his goals again. But Pep kept everything the same. 
So it's like, well, okay, right. So we, we in a way, we deserve to lose. We didn't deserve to lose on the basis of that De Bruyne being taken out. And I do not like the way that, that Chelsea won after that incident. You know, I, I don't like it. They might have been the best team. <clears throat> I still don't like it. That still doesn't sit right with me. And I agree with you, Ian, that I wouldn't have sat right with me if we'd have done it to one of their players either. Because I don't want our team to turn into that. I don't want our team to turn into a, a, a awful, aggressive side. But there is one thing that I've gone on and on about for the last two and a half years with you is the strength of a, a player, the, the build of a player, the fact that a couple of the players appear to be a bit fancy and not want to go for balls and not want to get stuck in because they're, they've, they've got a nice, pretty face. And whereas you've got players that are put, putting the head in, putting the face in, they don't care. It's like, I'm going to throw myself at these balls. I'm going to throw myself in the way. Those are the players that we need all around the pitch. Not the, not the fancy ones up the front that aren't even going to go for balls because you've got some big defenders around these days. So I do want someone like Haaland because that guy is... is somebody I know saw him last weekend at the Monaco Grand Prix. And they said he's he's a unit. He's an absolute unit. He's that big. And he said, right, get him. Whatever it takes, get the guy, get him at the front of our team. And you've got players like Gundogan that are very physical. I think Foden is very physical. You were going to have some good physical players in that team, not fancy ones that are scared of getting the face injured. So you've got enough money. Go and pay a surgeon for a new nose if you get it smashed. You know, what are you doing here? Score goals, win us a European Cup, please. Yeah. Yeah, just a couple of things, really. <clears throat> the thing about criticising the managers is an interesting one. I mean, you know, if we really think that we know better than Pep, we are deluded, aren't we? We all know that. So it's about opinions. Just one thing I was going to share. I won't say who it is, but when the team was announced beforehand, a former well-known City midfielder explained to me what was in Pep's mind. And he said, in that shape, Walker and Zinchenko pick up Mount and Havertz. Stones and Diaz look after Werner. De Bruyne, Gundogan help overload Kante and Jorginho, Foden and Silva to draw out their back three. Mares and Sterling to run out to, in between back three and wing backs to make them a five. I haven't got a clue what that means. Um, so, but it was quite nice to have it. And obviously I mentioned a few people next door because it made me sound clever. But I think the point I'm making is that, although yes, probably he did make a mistake and we're entitled to an opinion, there will be, what, what I think would be interesting is when we see things we don't understand, is somehow to have an explanation. That, that's what I'd like to hear. And that's what we'd all love, you know, just to sit down with a cup of tea with Pep and say, just, just have it explain to me. Because there's a reason. He's not done it because he thinks he's going to lose the game. And even with that, we still should have been able to win it, actually. With Jeff, the players. is that not, though, the definition of overthinking? Possibly, yeah. But, you know, we don't know, though, because we're not managers. We've not played the game professionally. We don't really know. I mean... Harlan, I listened to his analysis with great interest, and I think he he knows far more than I do. But he's still a million miles away from the level that a, a Pep is, or most managers. You know, we are doing our best to work it out, which is absolutely a, a right we've got as fans. That's the beauty of being football fans. The other point I just want to make, and it's a very obvious one, but it just hit me sitting watching this game. But actually, I think if we were playing in any league in Europe with any team, we'd win the league. I think we're the best team in Europe. But the best team in Europe, I've just realised, and I'm sure you've all known for a long time, doesn't necessarily win the Champions League. 
every t- effectively we're going to end up in a lottery every time we could be we'd have the best side in Europe for 10 years and not win the Champions League because it ends up in, in a one-off game but if you could somehow create a league where you know the Barcelona's the Real Madrid's the Bayern you mean a sort of Super I, I, League I, type I'm, thing I'm not <laughs> suggesting that but I'm saying theoretically if you had it far be it for me to suggest that no but I think we would have won any league with that team that's how good I think we we have been consistently. De Bruyne, I agree, but yeah, without him, we we we're not a one-man team. We've managed to, to to show that. So I think that that. So I'm sitting there thinking, I don't know whether we will ever win the Champions League because even if we get everything right and Pep made every right decision and everything went in our favour, you can hit the post 13 times or lose in a penalty shootout. So I think we're you know we're in for a ride with that. We'll you know we're, that's why we're fans. We'll follow. Uh, until hopefully one day we win it, but it's um, it's not going to be easy, is it? Yeah, just listen, before listen. Amy comes in, sorry, Ian, just before Amy comes in on, on this, because I guarantee Amy will have an opinion on this. Uh, with regards to Aguero, overthinking then, the, the idea of overthinking is that you're hoping to crack it. So so if you, if you, if you, if you go in tactical and you crack it, you're going to know that that will work and that that was a success. So he's, he's played Aguero for half an hour in matches this season in various on various occasions and you've seen a fantastic response from Aguero because it's almost like it's like his unique like timed frame so like you can have super subs that come on for 10 minutes and are brilliant and explosive for 10 minutes there's also players that need 60 or 70 minutes and they need a first half to get themselves up to speed and then in the second half they come into their own Aguero's got this knack of, of he needs 10 minutes to get going and then for the last 20 minutes he's on fire and he's sharp so Walker plays that fizzing ball to the back post. If Aguero's already sharp and ready and, 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 and he's been on the pitch and he's warmed up, I think he puts that away. The fact that he's been on for five minutes and he's not really into the game and he's been chucked in at 75, which I said would happen before the match, he'll put Aguero on without, you know, he'll put Aguero on with hardly any time to affect the game and hope for a miracle if things aren't going to plan. That for me was, was wrong and it was disrespectful and, Pep will probably explain in the future if he doesn't, he doesn't. But you well, might never see, get... remind you that, that, that in the last game he played and he came on and within a few minutes scored a great one of his best goals ever, and then another five minutes later. So uh, we. But then that was that thinking... was that was within that that was when that was again within half an hour. So he, he he got on the ball. It was within five minutes, and I think. But I, I agree with you by the way. But I think mm. we were sitting there thinking, I wish that Aguero had saved this for next weekend <laughs> because you know it almost came in a game that sort of didn't matter. It was great. It was emotional, but. Uh, that's the case. I still make the point that I think Pep knows how to work with his players better than any of us. You know, he, he trains them every week. He sees things we don't see. So, yes, on the face of it, your analysis looks right. But there will be other things behind it that we just aren't privy to. And that, that's, the, I think, what I was trying to say is it would be great if we could some, you know, that's what fans would, would love to see. But unfortunately, it doesn't doesn't happen. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. And I, I take your point about Aguero um, in the circumstances, though, he didn't have much choice, did he? Listen, in the time we've got left in this last podcast of the season, um, let's just look forward, um, you know, eight weeks, nine weeks or whatever it is till Leicester City at Wembley in the Community Shield. Um, do you expect to see, and I'm going to ask you all this question, I'm going to start with Amy because we've not heard from Amy for a while. She can start with the blank sheet. Um, you know, what, what, what do you want to see happen now during the summer? Do you want to see... Um, a number of changes. Who do you want to see go? Who do you want to see come, ideally? Uh, we all know, of course, Louise is already chomping at the bit for um, Erling Haaland. Um, but, you know, in the bigger picture, obviously you want 
the manager to stay. Um, you want um, what one player change, two player change. You, you don't have to name players. You can talk about positions. Are there players now that you want to move out of the club? Um, you know, do you expect to see a very different team against Leicester in that Community Shield at the beginning of next season, Amy? Um, I don't like any player to go. You don't do you? I mean, I know every they all get stick and everything. You know, I'm not going to mention people because I've mentioned it before and I get angry about it because everybody's a critic. Um, but I don't, you know, I want Jesus to stay. I'm sorry. I know that might not be everybody's opinion, but I do. I, I don't even want Sterling to go either. Um, that lad's lost his confidence. I don't know where or what. I don't know if it's stuff online or what. I don't know, but he needs... I'm hoping that getting in the England side will give him that bit of boost. I don't know. You, you just don't know, do you? You don't know what goes on in people's heads. Um... But yeah, I don't want I don't want Harry Kane. I said the other week I don't want Harry Kane. I just think you you you're jumping out the frying pan into the fire. Um, he's what about too... Jack Grealish, he's been talked about, hasn't he? I would I would have Jack. I would definitely have Jack a lot. He seems an alright lad. He's he's a good footballer. Um, I I would have Ireland. I don't. I'm not like saying I wouldn't do, but obviously we don't know. We don't know what these people. Obviously, we you know we can see Jack quite a lot. We can see Harry Kane quite a lot. We don't know what he's like, or you know we've seen it before where these foreign players have come in and it takes them a good long time before they've like settled in and. Werner, Werner, for Chelsea. Yeah, like you what know, if that I happens don't... with Ireland and we blast 130 million on him. Yeah, but like you say though, they're talking, aren't they, about how much money's you know, left in the pot and, you know, because of COVID and things like that. But there's certain positions we're missing, like we, we're definitely missing the likes of Leroy Sane. We, we're missing that fastness on the, on you know, up the line. Um, I mean, Kyle Walker's fast, really fast, but you need someone on both sides. And you were saying before about physicality, you knew what Vinny were like. He'd literally just go and badge through people and not care what one jot about uh, what happened. I mean, how many times did he get sent off, especially in a derby? Um, Fernandinho's the same. He likes to get stuck in. But yeah, we need somebody. We need people. We need a physical person who's gonna, you know, knock people off. Not intentionally, obviously, or to injure anyone, but just to do things to be able to win the games and. Um, I say we, you know, we won't know. We won't know what happens with with. I'm, a, you know, I hope Pep stays. That you know, he's a good manager and he's been amazing for us. We, you know, we've been very, very lucky. Um, but yeah, I, I say we'll see what happens after the after the Euros and if people decide to leave, they decide to leave. But I hope we replace them with with good people. All right. Well, that's that's a. Uh, an attacking midfielder in Jack Grealish and a striker. Nobody's mentioning defenders um, or, you know, other positions, maybe a left winger or whatever, speedy left winger. Adam, what would you expect to see and want to see from City? Well, what I would expect to see from City next year is Pep totally reinventing the way we play again. Uh, I remember the the first 10 minutes of the first game when uh, I think it was Kolarov and Zabaleta just 
running to midfield as soon as we had the ball and started playing as midfielders in the first five minutes of the game. And I've never seen anything like it before. I've seen him build teams with two in the middle, one on the right and no one on the left. These asymmetrical teams and overloads that he's looked to create. And this year with no striker, every year he evolves and I love it. And that's, that's the thing I love most about watching Pep. He, he does things that I couldn't do. Uh, and that, you know, and we've had some managers that are worse than me, I would reckon. So I'm happy to do whatever Pep wants to do. If Pep decides he needs Harry Kane or Haaland or whoever it is, uh, I, I can't see that fitting in right now, but I'm not against the idea because if that's what he wants, let's get him what he wants. He came here because he thought if we gave him what he wanted, he could do the business. And he, he has done the business for five years. Uh, if he needs a big number nine, he can have a big number nine and he can, and he can show us what he'll do with it. I am interested to know if it's going to be Kane, presumably it won't then be Haaland. So as the focus switched to Kane because Haaland's unreachable or he's gone off Haaland, or does he fancy Delap as a long-term successor to Kane? You know, those are those are things we can't we can't know, but I, I do trust the manager. I do trust that he knows what he wants and that he won't just splurge the money for the sake of it. Apart from the striker, uh you know, we need to decide what we're doing with Fernandinho. Why, why would, why would he want another year now, really? Or why would we offer him another year now if he's not going to, you know, give him what we've just been talking about? If he goes, I think he needs to be replaced. I, I do. I've always rated Rodri, but you can't rely on him to be the whole defensive midfield for the whole season in four competitions. And we need a left back. I mean, we need to get Mendy off the books, and we need to get another left back in. That's that's it for me. Louisa. Yeah, total new left back. I just don't know. Um, I might have to do a bit of studying over the break and then uh, maybe we can revisit this, you know, pre-season. But um, I, I definitely you know what I'm like. I don't want to lose Zinni. I would really like him to be pushed up a bit and Sterling maybe to, to go or to go to a, a camp somewhere and have a word with himself. Um, I'd like to see Zinni up that wing and have a bit more practice and gain a bit more skill because he's definitely got the speed. Um, and, you know, take that Sane position that we uh, dreadfully miss. I, I miss Sane, I really do. So, yeah, get somebody into his position and pushing it up because he's great at pushing that ball up and feeding it to, to players where he needs to put it. And he's also a handy goal scorer, you know, where he used to be when he gets a chance. I don't know about Kane. I still think Kane's not physical enough. You know, he's, 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 he's beyond doubt. He's a great player and he's a great goal scorer. Of course he is, but I still want somebody very physical and somebody that the opposition will be a little bit afraid of. Um, I don't want to lose Fernandinho because I do think that he's a force to be reckoned with. And, and I don't think there's anybody sort of from a psychological point of view from the opposition of players that have that uh, kind of command on, on, in the, on the pitch for our opposition. You know, if Fernand's playing, playing, people will be a little bit more cautious about the fact that he's playing. Um, Grealish, yeah, whatever, whatevs. Um, and um, what else are we going to say? I, I, I do want to mention um, Edison. I don't want him to go. He's amazing. He's fantastic. Um, but what I noticed in the last couple of matches, uh, and it might be because of the couple of penalties that he's missed, is that he's incredibly spontaneous. And of course, Gorky was having certain moments of time. Um, but he took his time when he saved that penalty instead of like goalkeepers generally do they're going to guess because they've done the study they've done the you know the percentages which corner is he going to go for yeah and i kind of going to get an idea i'm going to guess i'm going to go for it he, he waited he 
just waited till the player struck that ball and then he went the right direction and he saved the ball. Now that save that he made in the Champions League final, if you watch it back again, he also just took a brief moment and waited and saved it. Um, and I would like him to work on that. I would like him to work on the wait, save, not go for it. And then you, you're messing, making a mess of it because you're going to set the player out. You might get a red card. Oh, look, the player scored the goal. Fantastic. So I'd really like Edison. We don't talk about Edison that much, do we? And I think that we might perhaps need to watch him. I'm a bit of a spy on him. So, yeah, and I definitely, I, don't, I agree with Amy. Don't want to get rid of um, Jesus. But I do like the fact that he, he comes on as a sub. I like that because I do think he can make a bit of a difference every now and again. Um, but I definitely think that um, we, need, we need someone up front, for sure, that starts matches. That's me. I'm going to actually ask the other three to be reasonably brief um, because I don't want to make the, this last podcast. That's not a criticism of anybody's contribution, by the way, but I don't want to make this podcast a marathon one. Um, and... Andy, what, what do you want to see change during the summer? What do you want to see City look different or the same when, when we kick off again? Well, I think we've got to back Pep and Cheeky Bagirstein. They've done it for us for years. What I do want to see is I want to see the club go back a few weeks and reflect upon a magnificently stupid decision they made and get the sort of thing that they've started with Adam and the other guys and gals on City Matters and proper get some engagement with our fans, because I think that's what we need. Because I'll tell you what, there's, a, there's no better fan base. And having that season card back in my hand would be the nicest feeling if we're able to go to every game. That's what I look forward to next season, watching great football again. I must say that um, sticking up for the legacy fans here, and I am a legacy fan. I know I've been a journalist and people get confused as to what I am, so do I. Am I a journalist? Am I a fan? I'm a lifelong fan who went into journalism thanks to Jeff Durbin um, and, uh, and made a career of it because me, I, it's all your fault uh, because basically I was an obsessed fan who wanted to go to every game and uh, this was the way of doing it by getting myself into journalism. So I'm not like your normal journalist, but I am a journalist, but I'm also a fan. I'm really, really am a fan. That is what I am. Um, so I, I want the club to listen to legacy fans, to value legacy fans and to, to respect, you know, the relationship with the, the older fans and not just worry about new and worldwide distribution. And maybe, just maybe, not winning the Champions League final might just give them a little bit of a, a kick up the backside to think that way because the other side of COVID, I'm not sure how many people, um, particularly the older fans, will be confident to go back in that stadium. And I, and I wonder whether there might be an initial burst of 55,000 when they're allowed back in. But I wonder, as the season goes along, with all the fixture changes, the cost once again reignited, people have lost money, all sorts of stuff, um, whether or not they'll struggle a little bit and maybe they need to take more heed on that with, with the legacy fans. Um, I'm going to leave the last word on this podcast to Jeff, actually. But I'm, so I'm going to go to Harlan next and, and say, what do you want? City to look like next season. Um, well, the first person on the on the on the um, on the shopping list for me would be Grealish. I think it's the most obvious one um, because we've we've learned how to play without a striker now. So if Sterling was to, I mean, Adam Adam Waring and me were at, were at Thameside with you, and you asked us a really difficult question at the time when Sterling was on fire. 
and he said to us, would you sell Sterling for 130 million? And we both said, yeah, we probably would because you've got to rip someone's hand off for that kind of money. And we had a lot of Adam's made. That's the point Adam's made, really, in this podcast, isn't it? <clears throat> well, we had a lot of backlash from it, me and Adam wearing, and I think it was a lot of fans saying, like, what do you mean you'd sell Sterling? And we were saying, well, there's other players out there and Sterling's on fire and maybe he's looking for his next step. And he's kind of gone off the other end of the cliff now and he's kind of like, he needs to find himself again. So if Sterling was to leave and we were to bring Grealish in, who can play on the left and drift in, and, and, and he's a lot, a lot more of a rounded footballer for me than Sterling, a lot better at football in, in general than Sterling. I'd get Grealish. Take the strain off Zinni, like, like Louisa said, and bring in a proper acquitted left-back, left-wing-back, and allow Zinchenko the opportunity to move up the pitch, or, if that's not possible, drop into midfield and, 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 and help share the responsibility in there. He can even play all the midfield as well, um, even though he's only a small bloke. He does it for Ukraine. Um, but I, I think one of the darkest nights for me, and before you hand over to Jeff, was when we lost the second leg against United in the Carling Cup, uh, I was 16 at the time. Um, that was a horrible, horrible night. And 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 then we'd still not won a trophy. We, we, we'd still not played in the FA Cup final or the semi-final. This one hurt, but it didn't hurt as much as that. And people will go, what do you mean? It was the Champions League final. That, that hurt me that year. I was 16. I was in my last year at school. I was about to go to my prom that summer. I was dying for us to win something. And we were so close. And Rooney broke my heart. So... This one was one of them where I kind of like, I tried to put a brave face on. As the days have gone on, it's bothered me more. Uh, at the time, I was just that, the adrenaline was still going of, of potentially winning it, that it didn't hurt as much at the time. It's now bothering me a lot, but I remember what it was like to be ribbed at school. And as much as we still get the jip now, we have a phenomenal football team with, with a phenomenal fan base, a phenomenal manager, and some, well, a full squad of world-class players. And we'll add to that this summer. And next season, I think that the, the wisdom and the lessons we learned in the Champions League final won't necessarily be bad for us. I think this is where Pep sees who's got the balls and who hasn't, who will bounce back from this Champions League final defeat and come again, and who won't. And the ones that don't want to stay on the roller coaster get off, and the ones that want to stay on it will, and will win the Champions League next year, if that's the case, if we get there for me. I want to say a big thank you to Charles Louis, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, for their support of the podcast this year. Uh, Dave, who is uh, basically the man who, who runs that company, has promised that he will continue on to support the podcast next season. Um, it's different for the, the match day vlogs. I've still to decide whether or not they will resume, and that might depend on um, getting some sponsors to, to support me. So if you're out there listening to the podcast and you like what I do and you like the vlogs, then you know make sure you... You contact me during the summer and we'll see whether we continue on with it. But big, big shout out and thank you to Charles Louis. I make no apology for the fact that I want to bring the whole of the season and the podcast to a conclusion with somebody I very, very highly respect, who worked for the club, who is a diehard blue as well, who knows the insides and outsides of the football club and has no managers and has just like me lost all his hair watching Manchester City and the man responsible really for making my career in the media because he was the, the commercial uh, manager at the time when the club were looking for a video commentator and I was recruited at no expense, and I mean that literally <laughs> no expense, to be the club's video commentator, which I did for a few years, and that led me into the career that I've had. So, Jeff, um, now that I've given you the big build-up, uh, the floor is yours to finish off this season and give us your summing up 
of what's happened and where the club go next? Well, firstly, I'd like to say that, you, you know, I've taught you well and um, you'd expect as a commercial guy for me to acknowledge the fact you just acknowledged the sponsor, Charles Louis, and I'm um, delighted you did. And I'm sure there'll be many more sponsors to, to come cheesy. Um, in terms of, I think um, Adam was asking about Harland and, and um, I think, um, I don't know if any of you saw that picture. Was he on his way to the Grand Prix in this sort of stripy suit? I think that probably did it for Pep when he saw that one. So that maybe answers your question. Mm. Um, in terms of looking forward, I think this is the way to, to finish, to say how positive I am. I found a, a very nice five bedroom property about 10 minutes from the ground in St. Petersburg, which is secured. And as soon as the flights are open, um, I'll be booking. So I think that's the note I'd like to, to, to end on uh, cheesy. I'm looking very positively towards next season. And if it culminates in that, great. If not, then Mr. Durbin will have a nice holiday in St. Petersburg, I suppose. So we'll, uh, we'll take that as an alternative. Thank you for everything you've done, Cheesy, this season. I think on behalf of everyone um, for everything that you do and continue to do and will continue to do uh, with all of our support going forwards. And hopefully next year we'll be, uh, we won't, if we're having the same um, uh, podcast and vlogs and various things, it'll be celebrating and jumping up and down and slapping you on the head and saying, you know, hey, we've done it. That's where we want to be. And um, as usual, um, you know, it's great to be a blue, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh. Um, Stole my line there, Jeff. Uh, listen, <laughs> I want to thank everybody, not just the people who've taken part in tonight's podcast, but uh, the, the ones who, you know, people like Tony and, and, and Adam Waring, who've been part of it and various different guests that have come on the, the podcast. But uh, tonight, thanks to Adam P, uh, to Amy, to Louisa, Harlan, Andy, and to our special guest, Jeff Durbin. Uh, have a great summer, uh, but always remember one thing. Um, just believe what Jeff said. It is always great to be a blue. <laughs>